0: welcome to the silver screen guide podcast where we discuss films from every genre so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast today we are discussing indiana jones and the temple of doom directed by steven spielberg this is your co-host corbin
1: i'm alan from chicago and uh this is the one I've seen the least amount of. I've seen basically the other three all the way through at some point in my life. This is the one I've only seen little pieces of, and that's pretty really about it. I
0: did watch this about a year ago, and that was the only time I saw it, sort of. We'll get into my little anecdote here in just a bit. Uh, but the third one also that we will be reviewing here very soon I only saw that once, and that was last year at the same time as well. So I'm a semi-newbie to at least a few of these installments.
1: Right, yeah. As we've mentioned in the previous podcasts, neither of us are completely new to this series. We've at least seen some of them somewhere. Uh, But yeah, this... This is the one I think that we probably, this one, and for, I think for you, the next one, we've probably seen the least amount of compared to the at least the first one, and maybe in the, la- in the last one, I guess.
0: This movie was released May 23rd, 1984, three years of the success of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Something you'll notice is the writer of Raiders of the Lost Ark did not come back, Lawrence Kasdan, who is quite famous for The Empire Strikes Back. Instead, Spielberg and Lucas got Willard, uh, yuck. That's, uh, that's I'm going with it. And. Yeah,
1: it's pretty weird, that's
0: it's tricky. And uh, <laughs> Gloria Katz. And they kind of seem to be a bit of a writing duo. The only things of repute that I could find that they wrote were American Graffiti, which is a George Lucas film. And they did get the Oscar nomination for Best Writing. I have seen it. I don't remember very much of it, and they also wrote Howard the Duck.
1: What? I guess it makes sense. That is Lucas, correct? Uh,
0: I think you're correct. I I haven't seen it, but I think you're That's right. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I heard that Lawrence Kasdan once they decided to go with India and those who live in India as the main setting. Lawrence Kasdan is just like no thanks, I'm good, and walked away from it after that, which is interesting.
0: Yes, I did find a quote from Lawrence Kasdan who said, I didn't want to be associated with Temple of Doom. I just thought it was horrible. It's so mean. Mm-hmm. There's nothing pleasant about it. I think Temple of Doom represents a chaotic period in both their, meaning Lucas and Spielberg, lives and the movie is very ugly and mean-spirited. Wow, those are really harsh words coming from Kasdan, who uh, was, I would say, fairly close writing with Lucas on Star Wars and Spielberg with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But yeah, he right. really didn't want anything to do with this movie. And we'll get into possibly why he felt that way.
1: Right. And I mean, to be fair, they all... Lucas was scared that he wasn't going to get Spielberg because he was coming off a pretty big project at this point. I believe it would have been Poltergeist? Uh, 1982. Anyways, he's coming off some pretty big project. Uh, and about the time Spielberg had found out that Lucas actually didn't write those two other scripts that he had promised that he totally did. Uh, and so part of that the relationship between the two had also, at least from what Lawrence Kasdan has said, had come out in the script. And he was and he was also caught in the middle of this because, as you were just saying, he's pretty good friends with both the directors. is worked with them before me times. And so Lawrence Kasdan is just like, I'm out of here, and gave the helm to two other people.
0: Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford, of course, did come back to reprise his role as Indiana Jones. Everybody else in the cast is new, as far as I could tell. We have Kate Capshaw, Ambrish Puri, Roshan Seth, Philip Stone, Roy Chow, Kay Hyoai Kwan, who played. uh, Oh, I'm sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Uh, I will pronounce it better in just a bit when I get into the plot summary. Uh, but also returning is John Williams. Uh, the only thing that stuck out to me with this score is the returning themes that he already wrote for the previous movie. I didn't really pick up on a whole lot of things new that really stood out to me.
1: Oh, there's, there's a few things that I really do enjoy short rounds theme. And that plays every once in a while. Um, I, that's, that's the biggest one in my mind that I can think of that right off the bat is that that new composition that new piece there they do some newer stuff with the score and this one they didn't do with the last one it's a bit more playful uh just in general it is Uh, overall i mean it's it's john williams so it's a good it, it sounds good right at the very least
0: well he did get the oscar nomination for the score but he didn't win and speaking of oscars this movie did win the academy award for best visual effects We'll talk about the visual effects in this movie when we get into the actual review. But uh, in the meantime, uh, I did want to mention what the users of IMDb think about this movie. It has a 7.6, which is very good, but it's nearly a full point less than Raiders, which is 8.5 and number 44 greatest film of all time, according to IMDb. Right.
1: From from an IMDb standpoint, it's a pretty... It's at least a substantial loss compared to its predecessor
0: the film was afforded more of a bigger budget this time around it had a 28 million dollar budget whereas last the previous entry had an 18 million dollar budget at the box office it domestically grossed 179.8 million foreign markets 153 for a worldwide total of 333 so of course it's a massive success
1: yeah, I mean, this is no surprise to anybody, nope. especially after the first one that really raked in the money as well. Oh, it
0: did. And of course, opening weekend, it was number one with $25 million. And it was also counted over. This was, it opened Memorial Day weekend and it opened with zero competition. Nothing else wow. was new. Everything had been out at the time. The other movies playing at the box office at the time, the natural with, uh, That's Robert Redford. He came in at number two, Romancing the Stone, 16 Candles, Police Academy, Footloose. So this was released at the perfect time, Memorial Day. Uh, It nearly made back its budget, but then clearly it went on to be a very big success. And comparatively with the rest of the series, without inflation, it's actually the domestically lowest grossing of huh. the series but if you do adjust for inflation then it's actually the second highest grossing so <laughs> it's weird how that works
1: interesting yeah I just gotta love how inflation works yeah i mean that's kind of i wonder if other movies were just scared to go up against indiana jones oh, I, after what happened last time I'm sure. I'm sure that's probably definitely part of it but yeah even 82 well yeah with like you just said footloose 16 candles pretty good summer overall yeah uh to have all those movies come out those are still recognized today
0: it, it did seem like a pretty good summer we had teen romance we had adult romance comedy musicals uh we had sports films that uh, the natural i believe got some oscar nominations probably it's it's well regarded uh as for the overall year though I, something I thought would be kind of neat to do, start doing with these reviews is take a look at the entire year and see if this movie was more impactful with the year because it was kind of a big blockbuster. Or uh, and there, or was it among other blockbusters and it was just a really great year? So we're trying to kind of put ourselves in the mindset of that year. Do we have something to look forward to or don't we? So I did look at the most popular films of 84 and just go with me, okay? I think it's kind of a meh year. There were some highlights but not a bunch to look forward to throughout the year. So you may completely disagree with me. Uh I do think some of these movies are great, but I don't think they're just wow amazing. I don't I don't love most of them honestly. Ghostbusters, we've reviewed that. That came out that year. Right. That's a great movie. Go listen to the review. The Terminator I only saw it once. I thought it was okay.
1: Still a very cool I would say a, at the very least a very culturally impactful movie, especially when you get to the second one.
0: Sure. Uh, the Karate Kid, that's a fun one. The Never Ending Story, it's a fun one. Nightmare on Elm Street, Gremlins, which I believe Spielberg had something to do with that as well. Uh, Once Upon a Time in America, that was uh, Sergio Leone's last theatrical film. Uh, this one, Alan, has brought up to me a lot recently. Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind.
1: Yes, it's funny. I pre- I talk about this movie a lot, and I have not seen it. Because I really want to see it.
0: Came out in 84. I missed
1: it at Ghibli Fest.
0: Uh, Also, like we said, 16 Candles and Footloose. So I think these are mediocre to good movies. Some of them I don't care for. I've seen all of them, actually, except for Once Upon a Time in America and Nausicaa. But I don't know, Alan, what do you think? Is this kind of a big year or is it just kind of a, eh, yeah, okay.
1: Well, I mean, I would say it's a pretty pretty good year because a lot of these films are still kicking. There's these, a lot of these films are still culturally in, they impacted cinema and society in some kind of way. Each one of them. Ghostbusters is a big name. Footloose, uh, an odd film, but it definitely (laughs) has still remembered. (laughs) Um, I would say it's overall a pretty good year. I mean, Gremlins is a big one too. That one, uh, that one kind of went to show Kind of went to show how silly movies are, but at the same time had an interesting thing to say. Uh, yeah, I would say it's a pretty good year overall. I think that really uh, the one that kind of isn't as remembered as much would have been Temple of Doom uh, compared to what we were talking about here.
0: The teaser trailer for this is pretty crappy. I came on my <laughs> Blu-ray. It was pretty bland. And honestly... The theatrical trailer that came on my Blu-ray is poorly done. It, it's just scenes chopped together. It would pique my interest, but just just barely. And only because I loved the first one.
1: Right, yeah. The trailer for this, it, it does what a trailer is supposed to do. It shows the most important bits of the story. Uh, it has an odd narrator. Mine did. Um, I found it to be okay. Uh, it's not the greatest trailer in the world. Definitely not the worst, but it's one. I mean, I guess it does capture the story as the story's tone overall. While I, showing just enough to get you curious. I think, yeah, this is overall an okay trailer, but not really the best trailer that they could have put out with this. Uh, I think that they could have done better.
0: So when the movie did come out and people started seeing it, it caused quite a bit of controversy, not just yeah. here in the States, but internationally as well. Uh, let's start with why it was controversial here in the States. And that's because this movie is vastly darker than its predecessor. Right. And it also pushes the PG rating to, I, I, I would say it pushes it and breaks it.
1: Yeah, this, uh, we talked about this before we began this podcast, but this was one of the movies that basically caused the NPAA to make the PG-13 rating. This and I believe, well, we have a podcast over this. We talk about the, these ratings and stuff, so we can go listen to that. Uh, but yeah, this is one of those movies where it caused the NPA to add an extra rating, the PG-13 rating, to, this, to the list. Uh, because yeah, the this... Was quite darker than the than the original, which I know a lot of people were surprised about, uh, especially some scenes in this movie. So yeah.
0: Well, George Lucas explained to Empire Magazine that part of it was he was going through a divorce, and uh, Spielberg had just broken up, and they were not in a good mood. And Lucas said it ended up darker than we thought it would be. Once we got out of our bad moods, we kind of looked at it and went, "Mm, we certainly took it to the extreme. And uh, there is a human sacrifice scene. No spoilers just yet, but it was pretty shocking. And I'll give my little anecdote involving that scene here in just a bit before we talk about it. Uh, But it did outrage a lot of parents who brought their children to the PG rated film And Spielberg told the Associated Press in a 2004 interview, everybody was screaming, screaming, screaming that it should have had an R rating and I didn't agree. So what does Spielberg do? He said, I remember calling Jack Valenti, then the president of the Motion Picture Association, and suggesting to him that we need a rating between R and PG because so many films were falling into another world, you know, of unfairness unfair that certain kids were exposed to jaws but also unfair <laughs> oh gosh jaws but also unfair that certain films were restricted that kids who were 13 14 15 should be allowed to see i suggested let's call it pg13 or pg14 depending on how you want to design the slide rule and jack came back to me and said we've determined that pg13 would be the right age for that t- temperature of movie So I've always been very proud that I had something to do with that rating. So long story short, Spielberg basically invented the PG-13 rating.
1: Yeah, so it was all Spielberg's fault. Pretty much. Ah.
0: And honestly, just three months after Temple of Doom, Red Dawn debuted with the PG-13 rating.
1: It's true. That's right. We talked about that and... All other sorts of stuff, and that movie ratings for discussion podcast we did. Oh gosh, that would have been about two years ago at this point.
0: It's been a while. Yeah. I don't remember.
1: <laughs> it's been, I would say, yeah, it's been getting close to two years at the very least. Because I remember I was in a, my other apart. I was in the other apartment when we recorded that. Yeah,
0: go check it out, listeners. It's it's a fun time. Mm-hmm. So, but there was also controversy about the betrayal of the Indian goddess Kali and uh, Indian cuisine. Which, uh, it's a pretty gross cuisine, and I thought, do Indian people really eat this stuff? And if they don't, they are really making them look bad. And yeah. uh, we'll get there, but I'm not surprised if they're offended because it, I think it portrays them as these just grotesque, you know, backwater savages or something. And it, it was actually temporarily banned in India for just a little while. Right,
1: yeah. They, they really wanted to film in India, and they weren't able to. The government looked at the script, and they're just like, okay, you can film in India, but we want control over this, that, and the other. Like They want to control over the final products. They want to control over what they could show. All kinds of things. And so, of course, the they were just like, uh, maybe not. And so they filmed, I think, in Sri Lanka instead, and filmed most of them lots, which ended up... They went up uh, ballooning their budget a little bit more because they had to film on uh, studios and things like that. So they used a, Because of that, they had to use a lot of matte paintings and miniatures and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, once it came out, uh, they were not happy with it. <laughs> to say the least, they thought that uh, it kind of messed around and didn't really portray them, their people, as very good. And then they also kind of messed up with Hinduism, And like you were just saying, their cuisines and stuff like that were totally not accurate. And they even called it offensive uh, because of some of the things that are being portrayed. So, yeah. Kind of got in a little bit of of trouble with uh, the Indian government. Uh, Temporary ban happened too, like you just mentioned.
0: Well, they also weren't allowed to film in China because one of their preliminary ideas involved the movie being set before the first one. And okay, I'm honestly a little confused. I don't know if you know this or not. Is is this set before Raiders, or is it yes. set after?
1: It is. They didn't want to set it after Raiders because they didn't want to mess with the with, they didn't want to mess with the Nazis again. Okay, so they set it before so they can get away with that.
0: I felt like they didn't make that clear though. There wasn't a now. Was there so a time in the opening
1: stamp? Yes, in yeah. the op- in both. In the opening of both, there is a year that is displayed. I missed it. Yeah. And so this one, I think, is in 1935. I think the last one was in 36, I want to say. Okay. I can't exactly remember, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to definitely check before we review The Last Crusade, because I really want to be clear on that and... Uh, Because I came into this movie very confused where Miriam was. I I was just assuming this is one of those movies where the previous movie doesn't really count. This is its own adventure. All of those things happened. Great. We're on to a new adventure. It's not meant to be a direct continuation. But I guess this actually takes place before.
1: Yes. I just checked. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is 36. Ah. Uh, Temple of Doom is 35. So, the, so it was one year before. Okay,
0: that's interesting. But like we mentioned, they weren't allowed to film in China because they wanted to do an opening scene where Lee Jones was driving a motorcycle in a chasing along the Great Wall of China, which would have been awesome. But the Chinese government...
1: That would have been awesome. Yeah, that would have been yeah, awesome.
0: And the Chinese government is like, no, you're not going to drive a motorcycle in the Great Wall. And... I guess it makes also, sense. Also, I thought it was a little uh, interesting because... Uh, Jones would find a like kind of like a land of lost dinosaurs.
1: Yeah, I read that. I'm just like, uh <laughs> Don't think that would have worked. No,
0: uh, this is, I don't know, this is a decent amount before Spielberg would work on Jurassic Park. But it right. was getting very close to Michael Crichton's book coming out and Spielberg and Crichton working on that. I thought that was interesting. Right. Also, they did Uh, Think about bringing Abner Ravenwood, who is uh, mentioned a few times in the first one, back. And uh, Miriam would also come back. And also there was possibly a plot about a monkey king. Uh, That would still be in China. And I know the monkey king has been used in other movies. But alas, the Chinese thing fell through. And none of the other movies have anything to do with China as far as I know. Maybe the fifth one will be about the old Harrison Ford fighting dinosaurs with the monkey king, like a tomb right. of the dragon emperor.
1: Right. And that, that would be interesting to have a movie about the, basically about the adventures of Abner Ravenwood and Indiana Jones. And we get to see that falling out that happens there towards the end. That would be, that would have been interesting to see, to, you know, show what they went on what kind, of, what kind of things they went after in that age. Uh, don't think we have that. I think the farthest back we do go is a TV show of Young Indiana Jones, which I haven't seen, but I know that it exists. So, so far, that has been made, as far as we know. I did also
0: think it was interesting, because we do have two new characters, Willie Scott and uh, Short Round. So, where did they get their names from? Well, just like Indiana Jones was named after Lucas's Alaskan Malamut... The character of Willie was named after Spielberg's Cocker Spaniel, and Short Round was named after Hayek's
1: dog. Yeah, so everyone gets a name from a dog. Right. I just found that funny.
0: And also, back when they were uh, making the treatment in 1982, the original title was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Death. Uh, Also, a few scenes in this movie, don't worry, still no spoilers, Uh, But the fight scene in Shanghai, the escape from the airplane, and the minecart chase are actually from earlier scripts of Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: Yeah, I remember we did mention this in that podcast where they they had so many ideas for what they wanted to do and then they just couldn't fit a few of these, which do end up in this one uh, for the most part. Yeah, those are definitely ideas that they wanted to do and they couldn't do for one reason or another. And now they're here, they're back.
0: Well, listeners, we are about to get into spoiler territory with Temple of Doom. So if you haven't seen the Temple of Doom and you don't want it to be spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now because we are about to spoil it. So go ahead, click pause, go watch the movie, and come back and hit play, and we'll be ready to talk about it. Okay, so I have to change the very first line because I... <laughs> I said, picking up not long after Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is when I thought it was before. (laughs) Okay. Indiana Jones, reprised by Harrison Ford, finds himself in Shanghai, where he has found Nurhachi, the remains of the first emperor of the Mao Chu dynasty. He meets underworld boss Lao Che, played by Roy Chow, at an upscale nightclub to make an exchange for a diamond. During the exchange, things go horribly wrong as Indy is poisoned and must retrieve the antidote from Lao's men. While doing so, he takes nightclub singer and Lao's disposable girlfriend, Willie Scott, played by Kate Capshaw, as a hostage, seeing she slipped the antidote into her dress. Chaos ensues as Indy must fight his way out of the nightclub and falls from the third story of the nightclub into the car of Short Round, played by Jonathan Kee Kwan, an orphan boy who is taken in by Indy. And I guess swiftly abandoned for Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, I. That's yep. <laughs> a dark, dark fan theory. Just forget it. A wild chase takes Indy to the airport, where he has secured passage from a British friend named Weber, played by Dan Aykroyd.
1: Huh? Did you did you catch that's that? News. Yeah. No, that was Dan Aykroyd. Huh. Wow.
0: So his British friend named Weber uh, gets him on a plane to take them out of the country, but the plane is owned by none other than Lao Che. As the three unlikely passengers sleep on the plane, the pilots dump the fuel and parachute away, leaving Indy, Willie, and Short Round to figure a way to escape without dying. Indy fights a rap Indy finds a raft, which he uses as a makeshift parachute, skiing equipment, and well a raft, as they slide their way through the wilderness of India. Once safely ashore, they follow an old Indian man to his village, where they are told of the dark and mysterious Pancat Palace, thought abandoned since the 1850s. The dark light has returned with a new Maharaja, played by Raj Singh, to lead it. The villagers recount how their children have been taken and their sacred stone, Shivalinga, was stolen as well. Indy comes to believe the Shivalinga to actually be one of the lost Shankara stones, bequeathed to the Indian people by the Hindu gods. Whoever possesses all three stones will receive fortune and glory. Indy and the gang accept the task and make their way to the Pankat Palace. Once they arrive, they find it to be lively with prominent Indian people. During dinner, they find the Maharaja to be no more than a young boy, who promises the dark magic of the thuggies who once ruled Pancot Palace, never shall occur under his rule. That night, Indy and Willie spark a battle of the sexes over who will give in to the other first, when Indy is all of a sudden attacked, but thwarts the would-be assassin thanks to the help of Short Round. Inside Willie's room, they discover a secret passage that leads them to a secret thuggy ceremony led by the evil Mala Ram, played by Amrish Puri. But before they get there, they have to deal with rotted corpses, crazy huge bugs, and a chamber with long spikes that nearly spears them to death. After the ceremony is over, Indy finds the captive children are being used as slaves in the mines beneath the pl- palace. I don't know why. I don't know what they're mining down there.
1: They're looking for the other two stones. How many uh, stones are there? So There's somewhere here So they have enslaved the kids. Take it from the village.
0: I thought there was only three. So there's more than three?
1: They want five. Oh. Uh, they have three and they need five to basically gain fortune and glory. Okay. Uh, then the thuggy tribe will be all powerful. Okay.
0: Well, thank you for making that clear. Yes. The three of them are quickly captured and Indy and Short Round are tortured. India is forced to drink a black liquid that possesses him and turns him into a robotic voodoo doll. He is forced to put Willy in the cage to be lowered as a human sacrifice to the goddess Kalima. See, Malaram's goal is for the British India to be slaughtered, then overrun the Muslims, then the Hebrew god will fall, and then the Christian god will be cast down and forgotten. Soon, Kalima will rule the world. With Willy nearly into the lava pit, India is shaken back to awareness when Short Round burns him with fire. Indy rescues Willie in short round and they escape into the mines where the children revolt and the trio fights for their life. They escape out of the mines on a wild, coal cart ride and barely make it out when Mala Ram triggers a massive flood that nearly drowns them alive. They escape to a rickety wooden bridge, surrounded on both sides, before they can be recaptured. Indy cuts the bridge with many falling to their death. But Indy and Mala Ram square off for the final time as Mala nearly rips Indy's heart out Indi utters a mystical hindu cantation claiming mala betrayed the shiva which causes the mystical stones to catch on fire throwing mala off balance as he falls to his death in crocodile infested waters the trio returns to the village the sivalinga along with the newly freed children as usual willie isn't satisfied with the adventuresome life with indy but he's having none of it so he uses his whip to force a consensual kiss on her as Short Round shields his eyes and all the children hug them as credits roll.
1: Quite the uh, interesting movie (laughs) we have here.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, Um, You you thought the first one was a little mystical, a little magical? This one is that to the extreme.
1: I began to notice something as I was watching it. Uh, it, This movie... at times, it really feels this way. And looking at it overall, it it, it it's almost if it, it really really feels this way. Uh, this movie feels like it was written by Short Round <laughs> or someone the same age as Short Round, because one of the things that I begin to pick up on is that we just kind of make things up as we go along, um, especially in this opening. Up until I would say when Indy hops and finds the entrance to Mala Ram's lair, basically. Uh, that's where it's, for me, I found to be the most prominent, where it just kind of felt like, okay, we're just making things up as we go along here. Uh, nothing really sticks as much as it does from the yeah, first one. Yeah,
0: everything, uh, the whole plot is happenstance. Unlike the first yeah. one where he's purposefully approached for a very specific reason, and that is kind of a very much more of a solid, uh, get-go from the plot, this is all, uh, just a Rube Goldberg series of, uh, mechanics where one thing leads to the other. Oh, what a, what a coincidence. This is the wrong plane. Um, We'll get into it. I don't want to, like, give the whole thing away here. But, yeah, you're definitely right right, where it's just like, wow, they accidentally fall into the plot of this movie. And for some reason. (laughs)
1: Like, actually, legitimately, they accidentally fall into the plot of this movie. Yeah,
0: they literally do. Uh, But, yeah, let's talk about this opening. So, this opening is completely different in tone from what we got with Raiders, where it's very mysterious. They're hunting for a treasure. Indiana's kept in shadow. This opens with kind of a Broadway-type musical. Also, the title is Mm -hmm. behind her body for some reason. I didn't like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, odd stylistic choice to do that. I like the song. Sure, I'll give it that much. I don't know what they're saying, but I, well, I like the song. I know what they're um, saying
0: because Indy uses the line, uh, anything goes, I think. Is that what he says?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Oh, except for okay. that one line that's in English, <laughs> I guess. Uh, other than that, gotcha. I don't know what they're saying. Um, yeah, I, I like the song, but it, yeah, like you just said, it's interesting that she when when she makes her big reveal, the logo comes up behind her. Yeah. Um, I wonder why they decided to do that because it's not like Willie has a super important role in this movie. I don't
0: know. the. Uh, I do know why they chose to have this musical dance number. To me, it seemed like an incredibly odd choice because to me, it's completely throwing your audience off from what the rest of the movie is and what the predecessor was because yeah. uh, you got to hook the audience and, People who are hoping for a sequel to Raiders are coming in thinking they're getting a Broadway musical. But anyways, uh, Spielberg reflected George's idea was to start the movie with the musical number. He wanted to do a Bugsby Berkeley dance number. At all our story meetings, he would say, Hey, Steven, you always said you wanted to shoot musicals. I thought that could be fun. So that's basically why we have this big musical number and essentially this battle of the MacGuffins.
1: Right, right. I wonder, cause okay, the, the very first one, the opening of that one, even though the idol never really comes back, the idol is not the point. The point is we're being introduced to our main character and our main villain here. And we get to, we get the difference of viewpoints when it comes to archaeology. Uh, we do get the introduction to Indiana, which is kind of undermined, but that's okay because we already had one from the first one. And then we have the villains here who never come back again. Uh, and then we have Willie, who has little role in this story. It's it's weird to have this opening that honestly feels, the more I think about it, kind of pointless, other than just to have a fun action scene not long after right
0: comes up. and unlike miriam who he had a past with who i think had a fairly well chemistry with they played off each other they both kind of had these um bullish aggressive tones that clashed but then worked well and uh, at times yeah willie here is it's all happenstance he doesn't intend to take her with him She just happens to come along for the ride because she happens to slip the anecdote to the – because he is poisoned. She slips it in her dress, and he has to take her along with him, I guess. They had to get out of there as quickly as possible. It does become a crazy battle royale extravaganza with balloons and confetti and giant gongs and gangsters and kung fu and lots of laughter um, spearing people with shish kebabs on fire it's a crazy opening i find it to be kind of funny but i also find it to be a little too much
1: yeah and then we have that one character who brings indiana the diamond and we know we find out that they have some kind of past indiana i forget his name but the waiter that comes up and he dies like literally seconds after he's introduced and it just kind of feels like it was wasted Uh, Yeah, this opening's odd. I'll give it this. It is fun to watch. absolutely. But it is kind of hard to follow at times because there is so much happening and there isn't much weight to it like the original that it just kind of feels like, uh, what's the best word? It kind of feels a bit too cartoony.
0: Well, yeah, and in my notes, I said I'll go so far as to say it's goofy in oh, a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah,
1: it is. And like you said, uh, things just kind of keep – things just happen by happenstance, and they just kind of keep happening because they they jump in the car uh, after falling down from uh, – I think that – I think they're like kind of like awnings. I don't know the specific word yeah. for them. Uh, yeah, that's awning. They rip through all of those into the car uh, that just happens to be there. Uh, they drive. They get away from the bad guys and drive to the airplane that just happens to be uh, not of the ba- who the bad guy owns it. And then later on, the pilots in the plane no just happen to just jump out and they flow down to this village. It's right. yeah, It's just one after the other. Just like okay, like you said, a Rube Goldberg, mach- Goldberg machine creates this plot.
0: I will say that I am having fun with it, though. Yeah. Uh, Short Round is driving, and he's a little kid, so he has to have blocks tied to his feet to reach the pedals. I really enjoyed uh, the character of Short Round in this movie. I also really enjoyed him in Goonies as well. He is kind of a fun sidekick. Uh, This definitely feels straight out of the 80s to me. Yeah. uh, Just even with how it looks um, with these kind of sets. Uh, Also, I should note that uh, Shirt Round was going to be a virginal, I guess I should say she was going to be a virginal young princess, but uh, Spielberg and the writers rejected that idea.
1: See, I think that would have been an interesting idea had they gone through with it and made it work. Although I can see what they're saying that they wouldn't have worked out anyways, but I think it would have been interesting to see. Now, with that being said... I have to bring up the Lego games at this point. I have played Lego Indiana Jones 1 and 2. I own them both on the Wii. It's been a while since I played them. However, when I was watching this opening scene, I was scarily reminded of the opening to this in the Lego games. And I was like, you know, usually those games kind of make up silly things in the story for multiple reasons, either to shorten it up or to just have some humor to explain a couple of things that otherwise would take a longer to explain this opening is scarily accurate to the movie and i realized this and was like huh interesting that they didn't have they didn't make as much uh, creative liberty as they typically do with this of course it's not one-to-one but it's pretty accurate to the movie i found that to be pretty funny
0: so is it a uh, is the lego game as dark of an experience as this one
1: Oh, no, no, it's not. It's very kid-friendly compared to this.
0: Okay. Uh, so I got to bring up an issue <laughs> that I have. Uh, the first movie, although it dealt with supernatural elements, it still always seemed to be realistic Right. with everything. This movie seems to be trading realism for almost uh, slapstick humor at times, um, especially towards the end Uh, There's a scene at the end where he like throws his – the giant guy throws his hammer and it like literally conks a guy in the head like a Three Stooges coconut scene. And I'm like, what? Uh, So this just isn't – it doesn't make sense. Um, I I understand when the pilots – okay, here's my issue. So the pilots' plan instead of shooting them is to have them killed in a plane crash by dumping the fuel and then parachuting out? It, yeah. That just seems dumb. Why wouldn't they just shoot them and then land their plane? it it just felt unnecessarily complicated to achieve something wild and crazy. It,
1: oh, I, I'm, I'm all for
0: having fun, but if you're gonna make things if you're gonna like make it really complicated and difficult, then I can't help but notice that.
1: Uh, absolutely. yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing. I was like, okay, it would be easier if they just shot them and then just toss them out door instead of dumping the fuel, getting on parachutes, jumping out of the plane and hoping that they would die. It just seems like a logical step to just shoot them. You would assume at least that that's the logical thing that they would do.
0: So I'm kind of having flashbacks already to my first viewing experience about a year or two ago with this movie. I remember this movie being, relentless action it, the pace was such that it didn't really give the audience time to breathe and i will say that is the way for this opening we're not even 20 minutes in and we've had two major action sequences and i i'm wondering if the rest of the movie will be this way where we would have nonstop action book ended with brief moments of respite uh what are you thinking at this point because it's a lot so far, and we're not even 20 minutes in.
1: Yeah, at this point, I'm picking up, I'm just like, okay. Obviously, this is not going to be the same experience as the first one. That's rather cartoony, so I was beginning to pick up and beginning to understand where this movie was going to end up going. Uh, Yes, it is very fast-paced, not just in its opening, but basically for the rest of the movie, but up to this point, I'm just like, like, okay. Um... This is really silly. Why should we, should we slow it down? Because it is one thing to be, to have fun and to be silly and stuff like that. And for some movies, having this constant pace of always being silly and having fun ends up working for it. And then there are some movies where you need to have those moments where it just kind of slows down and explains things like the first one. So in this one, I'm kind of a bit confused, I suppose, because I would assume that it would be best if we sat down and talked about what just happened. Um, But we don't, we just keep going and we never really acknowledge the opening aside from the fact that we, that's how we got Willie on the story.
0: Also, this really does make me think of what George Lucas said to Spielberg when he got him on to do the first movie. Spielberg always wanted to do a James Bond movie, and if you've seen any of those, probably besides the Daniel Craig ones, you'll know there is some really over-the-top action sequences that require all kinds of gadgets and falling out of planes and skiing. This sequence really kind of really made me think of James Bond, where they're falling out of a plane, they're skiing Uh, with some kind of equipment, and then they fall into the water, and they're all okay, and it's a really crazy over-the-top scene. James Bond movies have, like, every other movie involves skiing, it seems like. That's, like, the most exciting thing they could think of. But this is really where it does seem to be in that corny James Bond territory of a kind of a goofy-type thing. And also for the action being so quickly paced, I did find a quote that I was like, oh, this confirms... My own feelings. So uh, Spielberg said, after I showed the film to Lucas, we looked at each other and the first thing we said was too fast. We needed to decelerate the action. I did a few more matte shots to slow it down. We made it a little bit slower by putting breathing room back in so there'd be a two hour oxygen supply for the audience. And on my second viewing, I can see it. It's not as fast paced as... My first viewing experience – because honestly, my first viewing experience, I – it was too quick for me. I was like, this is almost so relentless, especially when we get to that um, mine car chase. It, it was just almost uncomfortable how much
1: action there was. Right. Right. Right, and this is no like Mad Max Fury Road where there is a ton of action and that is the center point of the of the story but it takes its that movie takes its time to slow itself down because it knows that it is so nuts that you need that breathing room and even with this edit there are times where I'm just like yeah but can we just maybe slow down a little bit because in this opening things just kind of flew by and we don't really un- we don't really take time to explain what happened we just kind of move on from it and it makes it feel like i guess we don't need to worry about it which in some aspect we kind of actually don't there could have been this We probably should have been padded out just a little bit to maybe hit that two hour mark or maybe two hour and five minute mark and it would have helped significantly uh with this pacing because even now i'm just like can we just slow it up just a little bit just slow a little bit i think that would have worked Uh, But yeah, this is really quickly paced, which for some, for a little, for some, it may not be an issue at all, but for a guy who really enjoys having, you know, a movie explained or at least taking time to the audience breathe, it would be nice to have.
0: Yeah, I do kind of feel like they, like, they kind of took the big sequences from Raiders and they're like, let's just do that for this movie and the story, yeah, yeah we'll kind of put that aside. We'll just do lots of big action sequences.
1: Right. Right. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the action's fun and all, but yeah. at what point does does this movie move past the move past realism? Because at least in the original, yes, those action scenes, especially the one when they're driving down, when they're driving, they're transporting the Ark of the Covenant to this one place, it's kind of gets to the point where it's like okay is this still realistic or not but it still remains in that realm because of what is built up to this point of it is still somewhat realistic this one breaks that very quickly uh i would say the time when i would say the time for me that it completely broke me was when they jumped out of the plane with the raft that's when i was like okay this is a cartoon at this point. It doesn't really take its time to make itself some realistic, just, it's just enough where it's fun to watch, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, but the first one that took deliberate time to develop that and make its action scenes even more intense because of that.
0: The one thing I do think it does right with the pace is I feel like, cause we do have, like you said, a very cartoonish, lighthearted opening, but then we do transition to a much darker, almost, I guess you could say, scarier movie. I do feel like that actually is uh, handled fairly well. It's not rushed into it too quickly, in my personal opinion. I find that, uh, I do find the whole Battle of the Sexes scene to be kind of weird, overly long. I don't feel like that's earned at all. And this again is once again James Bondian, where Indy is just going to bed the first girl that he sees, apparently. That's the kind of person he is, I guess. And uh, But then you kind of get back into that creepiness factor with the booby traps, just like in Raiders. And then we kind of get more of that darker tone, and then I feel like we're in. But what I don't feel like is explained very well is why Indy decides to go to Pancott Palace and investigate... To me, it just seems like it's for his own curiosity. It doesn't really seem like it's for the people, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed it.
1: So they do explain in the movie that uh, there has been activity in Pancat Palace, and they don't really know why. Uh, It's been basically empty for a long time. And so India at this point has heard that, oh, they took, I think, one of the stones uh, from this village and so he has to go get it back and then he hears that there's been activity in Pancock Palace so that he puts those two pieces together and heads there that's the reason why he's going to Campancot Palace is because there's been activity there hasn't been there for a long time so they're suspicious that that's where in, the stone ended up at one point right and I
0: I got yeah it does make sense and I did get that I just felt like it wasn't justified
1: oh yeah yeah no I, I agree with that um, it's, <laughs> it's It's one of those things where it doesn't really wait for the audience to understand. It just jumps right in. Um, Yeah. And now, to be fair, uh, this is already quickly paced. The logistics of the story here don't matter nearly as much as the original do. Uh, Which is also interesting, but I guess I can understand why. They want... It's interesting because they want, I guess, from what I'm seeing, they're wanting to broaden this to a wider audience because now we have a kid in the mix. So they're already marketing to kids at this point. Uh, then later in the movie, things happen. It's totally not PG worthy. Uh, right. Especially it's, not now.
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely a bait and switch where very almost friendly, friend, fam, family friendly cartoon opening. We've got a fun kid presence as a sidekick goofy scenes of Kate Capshaw acting like a goof and trying to get on an elephant and the Indian people's mouths are agape at her. Uh, yeah, and then that's where the bait and switch occurs. They've got the audience hooked for the first half hour and then boring stuff at the palace, kind of some inappropriate sexual stuff that might go over kids' heads. I don't know. And uh, then we get the, the dark
1: stuff. Yeah. Now, I have to admit... Uh, some of the sets in this movie look uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I And even some of the visuals that happen, like the first time we get to see the inside of the pit here, I think it's actually right at the scene. Uh, there's really, it's a good shot, and it really does bring up, as you were saying, the, that scariness factor. It, there are some really impressive, and sometimes topping the original in terms of set design and shot composition, and things like that. There are some really freaky images in this movie, but they kind of work. I mean, they look good, but for an Indiana Jones movie, uh, I don't know so much about that. But I will say that this has some pretty incredible set design, at the very least. And like I said, like I just mentioned, sometimes topping its original.
0: And I completely agree with that one hundred percent. I loved. I I don't think I had an issue with any of the sets in these movies. I love these Spielberg movies, and I feel like that is one of the things Spielberg was definitely known for during the 80s. To craft really immersive, big environments, uh, really neat sets. And I really honestly miss those because with CGI, it doesn't feel the same at all Uh, you can't beat uh, practical actually built sets and I love seeing those uh, giant sets I'm thinking of uh, Goonies at the very end with the ship Uh, also just a number of other uh, sets that were real life built I definitely love the sets I also think the color palette in this movie uh, is very vibrant at times Uh, the way the sunset is used uh, the way daylight is used also the reds And kind of the tans in the palace, Um, it it can be vibrant, but also subtle at times. So, yeah, Yeah. the sets and color palette, I think, are really great.
1: Yeah. So uh, we haven't talked about Willie just yet. And I feel we probably should. uh, I bring this up because up until this point, I've pretty much hated her. Um, She's quite, quite annoying in this movie. And I would say right about this point she's toned down quite a bit. Not a, not a ton, but more than she's not as intrusive, I would say, as she was in the first half of this movie. But this first half of this movie, when we are taught when we are introduced and we get to know Willie some more, oh my word, she's super annoying.
0: Yeah, I had that question for you actually here in my notes. Uh, she is very annoying because she is a loudmouth. She has to yell everything. Everything is such an exclamatory statement. It's all over the top. Uh, her nails are busted. She's not into that. She, uh, ugh. I, I could go on about it, but I don't. I don't want to waste your guys' time. With,
1: yeah, <laughs> it's not she's a it. walking cliche. That's the problem. And the last one, although they did exploit the fact of prettying up Marion she was still hard she was very jaded and that made her a very interesting character because of that because she's not like your typical princess willie is a princess in this movie she's very she comes from a very pampered lifestyle uh and at the very least she does hammer in that the big idea of fortune and glory uh at, the, at least she does that but overall, I don't see much reason for her to be here. She doesn't really help Indy grow in any way. Uh, she doesn't. She's here more as a plot device for a couple of scenes. She's already really annoying, and like I said, I wa- pretty much a cliche at this point. I I struggle to understand the reason she's here, except to gain audience giddy uh, audiences, I guess.
0: Yeah, and the other thing I see here as... She does literally become a damsel in distress later on. Someone who Indy needs to rescue. The creators are hoping to provide that... Oh, I guess, romantic tension. Kind of a classic story. Will the prince save the princess? I feel like their chemistry... they. I don't think they really have any chemistry. And definitely the love scene or what is supposed to be that it's kind of funny but it's also really unearned I don't I just don't even see where that came from it kind of came from left field I feel like but yeah Yeah. Willie is very annoying she essentially does nothing except uh, maybe provide some comic relief to some people she doesn't really help them she usually kind of makes things worse for them she does disappear for it seems like like a good portion of the second act and i at one point i'm like where did she go indy and short round are being tortured she is gone we don't see her for quite a while and then she comes back to be a sacrifice and then they have to save her i don't know i guess i don't know it's it's different because we do have a kid in the mix so they're like well let's put a woman in the mix and somebody indiana can protect he can play off of uh, he can kind of tease because that was a really enjoyable part of the first movie was his antagonistic relationship with Miriam. They try and repeat it here and it doesn't work. Yeah, y- you could probably write her out of the movie and still have just as good of a time. I, I mean, I think if it was just Indian short round, I don't even know if that would really work. But the three of them with these really clashing personalities... I do think, in some weird way, it kind of works. But it, that doesn't mean I I like it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that she should have been written better. Uh, I guess I probably should have... I forgot to mention this, but then you reminded me. Yeah, she her, really her real reason for being in this movie is because she is the main source of comic relief for the story. Other than that, I, I, she just feels like she has nothing to do... Except be the love interest and the comic relief for our hero, uh, and obviously this is going for a more family dynamic because we have the mother, the father, and the kid uh, as the main characters here. And then in, in this half of the movie uh, is not so family friendly, but and I get that. I just re- cause short round. I I really do enjoy short round, and I would have loved to see more of his character and more see him do more things. Uh, they they go over really quickly to go over how Indy came across him, which is weird. Um, But that being said, I wish that Marion had more to do to harden this idea, or I guess this visual of a family uh, with these three, but they don't really do that.
0: We also should mention the dinner scene, which I found to be unnecessarily gross. And I did read a quote that said they wanted to just make it as gross as possible. I don't know why, because that turns me off. <laughs> uh, but what did you think of this dinner scene?
1: Is this the the dinner scene when they first get to pancut?
0: Yeah, where they have eyeball uh, soup yeah. and monkey brains and beetles and.
1: Yeah, this was a this was a weird scene. It was intercut with some pretty important dialogue. I thought. Yeah. Uh, the British are there for yeah for one reason or another, and and they have this white guy there. Uh, who I think is the one who's in, ch- or at least the face of what's going on in Pencut. Uh Pretty important dialogue happening, and then we also have Short Round and Willie uh, making jokes for the audience. And when we cut back to them, this is an odd scene. Um, I, I don't really know why it's edited this way. It just—I really want to know who was in the editing bay. Uh, When they were doing this because it it just it feels weird like to a point where it wouldn't be something that Lucas or Spielberg would have done.
0: Well, I do believe it was I I don't think it was their idea from what I read. It was I think it was one of the screenwriters. I think it might have been Gloria Katz's idea, but she kind of suggested it to him and they just kind of were like, yeah, like, let's be really gross with it and have a lot of fun with it. I didn't really take it that way and this coupled with kind of uh right before we get in the palace there's this kind of gross blood-stained finger mutilated idol uh that and then right before the guy gets his heart ripped out uh that all culminated in my dad shutting it off for us when i was quite a bit younger so i told you listeners last time when when my dad and i watched raiders of the lost ark on tv he shut it off right before the end because uh, he just didn't want to deal with me having nightmares with those angels of death uh their scary faces ripping through people and then with this one uh it was really gross i remember it being so gross when i watched this part when i was younger i don't remember a thing about the chinese thing i think we started it later into the movie at the pancot palace which honestly you could do and not really miss a thing
1: basically uh
0: but yeah i remember he was about to rip his heart out and my dad clicked stop right there and my dad's like this is just too gross you're too young you don't need to be watching uh this kind of stuff yet and uh so i had never seen it until i was i don't know what 22 years old (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's, this is the scene that got parents to be like, uh-huh, uh, for what happens here. And then a couple of scenes later, yeah, this is one of the things that are controversial. And then, of course, the dinner scene we just mentioned, more pounds of controversy light laid onto this movie uh, for these two scenes. Uh, well, I guess the the last scene and then whatever happens after this first half. So, yeah.
0: Well, and honestly, so this is where the real adventure begins. To me, it seems like right here at the thuggy ceremony and we're in. Which is
1: interesting because it's underneath Willie's room.
0: I did wonder about that. And the only way I can justify it is that is just um, that's not the best way to get there because they uh, have to go through crazy booby traps. So what's the point of even creating it? Uh, if it's not a viable way to go into the place, I don't know. It, I don't know. I guess expressly for curious people like the American Indiana Jones coming to Pancot Palace. and uh, It's just kind of like what you're saying. It kind of seems like they're just making it up as they go along. Some of this is all too convenient to how it occurs.
1: Yeah, and I, since we're on the scene, I did find it kind of odd that Somehow Willie can hear them all the way up in her room, when they're yelling down there for her to come down and save them. That was odd.
0: I, I don't know, but regardless, <laughs> the adventure begins about an hour and five minutes into the movie.
1: Right. Odd. Uh, it was weird because it's way too. We early. were talking just earlier about the pacing and how quick it is, but then we get to this and we're just like. Yeah, but nothing really. Nothing too significant happens until an hour in. We're halfway through this whole movie. We have no villain at this point still.
0: Yeah, no, we don't. And the villain that we do get is kind of a mediocre villain, I would say. There's not a lot to he doesn't, him.
1: Doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't have much to do with our main character.
0: No, I mean, I like I like the set design. I like the costume design of the the henchmen and of. Raw uh, Malaram Ma- Ma- or whatever his name is, um, yeah. Uh, but what uh, kind of shocked me is uh, the torture scene where they all get captured.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> well, uh, no wonder this was controversial. I, especially when they're whipping short round. Like, yep. Oh, <laughs> that's
0: where it. I think it goes too far. Uh, yeah. I, I'm okay, I guess, with Indy getting whipped. I don't I mean, it's not like I like it or anything. But then they start whipping Short Round, and they have the young Maharaja Prince doing it, and they're the... That's who Short Round has to fight. He can't fight the big guys, so they give him his own adversary. Later on, we watch them beat the snot out of each other.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And I'm like, oh my gosh, the Short Round is just beating the crap out of this guy, and... Uh, and, but then we learn he's under a spell or whatever. And, uh, I, I,
1: I just had to beat it out. Yeah. Of
0: essentially. <laughs> I gotta say, I wasn't too enthused with Indiana being drinking this black liquid, which makes him into a voodoo doll. And it's all a little too silly. And uh, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Right. Give me your thoughts.
1: Yeah. This This whole torture scene is... Honestly, just doesn't fit with this movie. Or really with Indiana Jones at all. Especially when you get to the part when... With Short Round. Uh, But putting that aside... uh, Yeah, so they... Have Indy drink this black stuff. So they can control him. Um, So he is under the influence of Malaram and the Thuggies. Uh, and, And even... Okay, if the... So if... The whipping scene wasn't already traumatizing enough. Having the main character, Indiana Jones, who is the hero, turn evil would be, if it hasn't already, traumatizing for a kid to see that. And how he's going to willingly sacrifice Willie for, because he's now evil at this point. This, like, for many people, yeah, pushes it quite far. Um for an Indiana Jones movie, uh this is not meant this is nowhere near meant for kids
0: no, and it, I, it was pretty hard when he uh when uh, short round runs up to him and he's trying to break him out of his spell and he hits him really hard and you see him crying yeah. and it's like, why did we need that if we already weren't right? Our emotions weren't running high because of it. I was also okay, so I'm kind of noticing a pattern here they've kind of established a religious plot device pattern the first one had to do with more so the hebrew old testament god and now this one has to do with a hindu god so i'm wondering if in the third one and fourth one i honestly don't remember very well and i wasn't looking for it will it deal more with specifically religious uh items or gods or people
1: right I do remember the third one does, the fourth one, no. Okay. But I don't know how much. That's my answer.
0: Okay. Well, we shall find out. But I do have to bring up a problem I have uh, with this whole... uh, paganism kalima god scene i feel like they go a little too far with giving this god like too much power because so are we to believe that kalima is a real goddess with real powers and so is shiva and they do have the power to destroy christianity and muslims in british india are they are the people like the creators, the writers saying, yes, this is a God with power?
1: Well, it's interesting because these gods do exist in their religion, the in in India's religion, right in Hinduism, I guess. but and they do possess similar powers to that are portrayed in the movie, but not the same because the God that they use for destruction, yes, does destroy things. But also replaces it with something better it also gives back it doesn't destroy things for no reason whatsoever The movie is more or less just inaccurately depicting uh, this God from that religion uh, so I don't think uh, so that that that's the real answer that was part of the controversy for this movie uh, but from the movie's sake. Um, yeah, so clearly they're trying to get rid of all good and have their own nefarious ways and fortune and glory. I think but the point of this is that uh, greed is the thing that more or less infects the ideas uh, or the minds of Malaram and his, and his men. I think that's the idea that they're going for here. And the way that they portrayed that is that they're going, basically, everything else that could potentially go against it is going to go away. We're going to become the ultimate power. Obviously, that doesn't happen in this movie, but they are, I think that's what they're trying to say.
0: I guess I was just surprised with how much power they, uh, and how much credit and legitimacy they gave to this Hindu god. So there, it seems like they're leading us to believe that if they did get all five stones, then this god would be real and it could, it would actually destroy the Christian God and the Hebrew God. That seems to be what it insinuates. I'm just surprised they're going this far with it.
1: Yeah, I, I i don't know if they... I think they explicitly say that they're going to... I think they just said that they're going to take out the Christian God. I think they say something like, like people just stop believing or something like that. Basically the same thing, though. Uh, it, but yeah, it, they do give a lot of ideas of power. or They give, they give a... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh... They give the illusion that this god that they're presenting has a lot of power. We never see that come to fruition ever in this movie. Um, So I guess it is kind of hard to say if that would have actually happened had they gone on this one. But I do agree. They do take some pretty big steps and be like, ha ha, this is going to cast out everything. We will be the only ones left. That is a pretty bold statement to make. Not just for Christianity, but a lot of different religions. Uh, but they do specifically point out Christianity in this movie. Um, that is controversial. But once again, like I mentioned earlier, this is not truly how it works in with Hinduism.
0: Right. It just... If the scene wasn't dark enough, we have to end the scene with, The British India will be slaughtered. We will overrun the Muslims. The Hebrew God will fall. And the Christian God will be cast down and forgotten soon kalima will rule the world i'm like why, why do we have to go this dark i mean just right i don't know it just it just went to a very dark place uh yes
1: yeah, a very odd dark place yeah
0: and uh, also i couldn't help but notice the similarities between this evil shaman guy and and the evil magician shaman Zekokan khan from the road to el dorado which was made by Dreamworks, which is basically I think Spielberg created DreamWorks essentially.
1: I believe you're right. And
0: yes. uh just there's a lot of similarities even between a bit of their looks, a bit of their actions, what they do. So I don't know. I have you seen the Road Del Dorado?
1: I have. It's been a while, but I do remember that that guy. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh I don't know. Just listeners, what do you think? You think uh Mala, Mala Ram and Zekul Khan are related? I think so.
1: In the same universe? I think we got a
0: crossover on our (laughs) hands. Okay.
1: That actually wouldn't be very far off. (laughs)
0: Not with this plot.
1: Technically speaking. (laughs) Except that one's a cartoon. Bye,
0: who cares? uh i do like when indy gets uh burned by the fire wake up indy you're my best friend he just burns his flesh and <laughs> indy just scrapes his because
1: that just fixes everything i
0: know and uh i gotta i gotta compliment the kind of active camera as it moves with short round as he is escaping the slave mines it's on his level it's running quickly i thought that was a, an exciting scene uh, I mean, I do like the scenes where the kids are kind of revolting and they're kind of having fun, knocking out the bad guys. Except we do have to watch them get uh, get beat up, too. So it kind of works until they all get yeah. smacked around with their sticks, which which does hurt. Uh, Indy's got some right. deep whip lines. No blood, but deep whip lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once again, it is kind of, I guess we forgot to mention, he is whipped with his own whip. Ah. To just add to that. Let's just do it with his own. Add his insult own to injury. Right. But yes, yeah, so you do You do get brief glimpses of the, uh, I guess it would be scars at this point of whatever he was whipped. Right. Although we don't see them in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Just bringing that Continuity
0: up. No issues. potholes holes. Uh, okay, but Willie is being lowered into the lava and I don't care.
1: Same. In fact, in my notes, I said, just let her go. Yeah,
0: there's no tension in this scene. (laughs) It's supposed to be a very tense scene. I found there to be zero tension because clearly they're not going to let Willie be burned alive in the lava. Uh, That's just a little too obvious with how this movie has set itself up. And honestly, I don't care that much about her character. They've not given me any reason to be really concerned for Willie. First of all, because she's been gone for like the past 20 minutes and now she's a sacrifice, I guess. Uh, and then when Indy saves her, she just slaps him in a weird slapstick way. And I mean, I chuckled, yeah. but I was like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. And in, in this action scene too, at this point, it's just like, okay, now we're, okay. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the first one is that every action scene had great purpose to it. They all had great stakes. They all had great weight to them because they were important to the story. This one, it kind of just feels like we're shoehorning in action oh, yeah. scenes left and right to make it more exciting, which in some cases doesn't work at all because this is a good scene, a good example of that because it doesn't feel like there needs to be one here. It feels like it's just there for entertainment's sake rather than here to increase here to advance the story in some way the first one did great with that they every action scene had purpose and was very intense because of that this one it just kind of feels like oh yes that we're gonna jump right into an action scene here because we haven't had one for a while
0: and and yeah it's nothing it just, but action upon action here um we've got multiple right. fights going on at once the only one i'm confused about is willie seems to kind of disappear for a bit I, what is she doing how is she not involved in anything. and this also seems like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner with one too many characters to juggle here with too much to do. We can't have three concurrent action sequences going on at once. plus Willie has nobody to fight really. So she kind of has to be like the AI video game assistant to um kind of give you weapons or ammunition when you need them, if that makes sense.
1: Right, yeah, she's the uh, Elizabeth from Bioshock yes, Infinite. Yes,
0: or possibly, um, depending on how bad I was playing in The Last of Us, Ellie would give me some shotgun rounds if I really needed it.
1: <laughs> right, well, at least in that one, Ellie does, you know, some oh, yeah. stuff. She will attack guys I, every once no, in a while. No,
0: I am in no way comparing Willie and Ellie. Please don't hear me think that. <laughs>
1: Please, yeah, please no, don't no, do that. I just
0: was saying that on some minor level, they would help you out during an intense battle. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, don't no. get confused uh, with uh, Corbin saying, oh, yeah, Ellie is no, just No, that's not what like I said. <laughs> <Ellie.">
0: no. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's uh, false.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do have to agree, though. She, f- Why does she hold Short Round back? I guess I can see it from giving a more motherly role. Yeah, I guess. It just feels che- re- insanely cheesy yeah. at this oh, point. Oh, it
0: does. Uh, but we do eventually jump on the minecart chase, which I think is a blast. It reminds me of Donkey Kong Country for my Game Boy SP.
1: Exactly what I... I that's exactly what I put in my awesome. notes. Like, okay, there's no way that Donkey Kong did not take from this movie for that one those few levels oh no
0: way i mean it's it it looks really similar and yeah. it's it's just as intense i think because it was a hard level anyways uh it, at a certain point though i become exhausted with this scene it is too long also some of the visual effects are stunning but uh there's one shot of them in the cart from behind it looks so horrible it is clearly a propped up dummy Oh man. Yeah,
1: there's the f- one of the turns that they they have. Uh you can clearly see especially with Indiana Jones that his so they clearly have dummies here, of course. Yeah. Um uh, and this is probably a miniature if I were to guess. Yeah, maybe. probably. Uh but they round this corner. I think it's one of the first corners that they take. You can clearly see that <sighs> Indiana Jones is really skinny. And he has got this really big head, and obviously it's fake. And I'm just like, that, ooh, this that doesn't look great. But I will agree with you. This scene is freaking awesome until it keeps going, yeah. and then it begins to wear.
0: Absolutely. It is kind of interesting, though, that... Okay, I, I can understand, I can understand why this did win best visual effects because it really pushed the envelope with certain scenes. It did a lot of things that would seem impossible. Now, clearly to our 2018 eyes, we can spot out, you know, everything that is fake and it's really obvious. Sometimes I'm like, wow, that's actually very well done and I can see for the time. But the one thing that is interesting is I can't help but draw a parallel. To this mine car chase and the scene in the Humphrey Bogart film, The African Queen, where they're going down the rapids and it's obviously not real. It's, It's just like wooden dummies propped up sitting there, you know, bobbling like wooden people as they go down the rapids. And it's a little similar with this, but The African Queen came out, I think probably, oh, at least 30 years, 20 to 30 years before this and... Clearly, we can see advancements in special effects had been made, but they're still using some of those really, really old effects that you know people would not use today uh, with those dummies. Right. I, I don't know. I'm like, that's really similar, but this movie is much newer than the others. And yet it still wins right. for best visual effects. So clearly, they're right. still using they that.
1: Cl- clearly, for this time, those effects have dated... Uh, especially in I really from this minecart chase scene on, you can clearly see some of the visual effects that they have uh, going on here. Uh, Whether that be a green screen in front of them, or when they hop out and they tip over the, I guess it would be a, I guess not really a water tower, but it holds a lot of water and has a spigot on it. Has a lot of water. Anyways, they flood uh, the they flood the mine, and they hop out and they walk across uh, the hole that the water's coming through. You can clearly see the mat around them and uh, the black line that outlines each of the characters. Some of the visual effects, like I just mentioned, doesn't date very well here. Unfortunately, Uh, there are clearly times where it was faked. Uh, Which, once again, is probably due to the fact that they had to record in studio, because they couldn't get access to India.
0: Well, and this is about a 30-minute climax, it feels like.
1: Oh, it's a long climax.
0: And it's pretty obvious where it starts. It's kind of after they rescue Willie, and they go into the mines, and they have a massive fight scene there that takes quite a while. Then the... The uh, you know little car chase takes a long time, and then it's still not done because they somehow get separated. And Indy has to fight people. Somehow they got around to the other side of the bridge, uh, and they get cornered from both sides. I don't I don't know how they beat them to it like that. And uh, yeah, and we do get some visual callbacks to the first one where Indy's gonna shoot the guys. He doesn't have his gun, so he has to fight them this time. I will say how uh, Harrison Ford looks with his machete and his ripped shirt and his whip and everything, that's quite an iconic scene. Um, I will say, though, at this point when we're having this showdown on the bridge, it's kind of like wrap it up here. I I literally felt exhausted when the uh, train car came to a halt because the audio was also so loud. And then when it just kills that quickly, you do feel physically exhausted. Is that how you felt?
1: I was pretty exhausted at this point. Luckily, though, they do kind of slow it down for a little bit here in the bridge scene, but only for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then they climbed the bridge for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty exhausted at this point. I'm just like... Uh okay I like I mean action is fun and all but I need some kind of point uh, to it so here's some, uh, so yeah here's
0: something I really don't like is okay I'm willing to give India pass it's kind of funny how he knows essentially every language to every country he's dropped in that's what it he knows Chinese he knows. I don't know what they're speaking, Hindi or something. Clearly, he knows English. Yes. Uh, I think he spoke a little German in the other one. Uh, clearly, he's one of the. Th- spoke a little bit Chinese here, too. Yep. Just a man for all seasons. I'm willing to give it that. What I'm not willing to give him is that he knows. Okay. So, him and the bad guy are hanging on the bridge. Indy says, you have betrayed Shiva, and then he starts reciting some sort of incantation. You've betrayed Shiva, continues to recite the incantation, until the stones turn to fire. Okay, how does he even know that? And I hate that he has to use this Hindu magic to defeat the bad guy. That just felt so... It didn't feel very satisfying to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get the idea. They're essentially... uh The using his Mother Ram's power against him in this scene. But we haven't really built the villain up very much anyways. And yeah, this is odd. I I guess it is kind of a callback uh, to the first one. Because the first one does deal with these angels of death. um, Which for a movie that's kind of realistic, uh, seeing that is really odd. But given the context, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. This one's different, uh, and so it, what's really odd too is that both of the two of the three stones fall out of the bag and they fall into the river. And Indy gets the next one um, after that's the last one. It was the right one for that the village is looking for. Yeah, this is kind of odd. It, I wouldn't say that it's completely out of left. F- it isn't completely betraying Indiana Jones, but in some sense, it doesn't fit. Because there isn't the correct context for it being here. And even then, yes. Why does... How does he know these lines that will do this? And why didn't he do it before? Um, I don't know the answer to that. That is weird. And un, kind of a deus ex machina.
0: Oh, it absolutely is. That's exact... Yeah, I was. I was exactly thinking this is way too uh you know deus ex machina where at the very last minute he now knows a magic spell to stop the bad guy we've never seen indiana jones use magic before and this is where i feel like they are clearly giving credence saying the hindu gods are real they have powers they're just one in pantheons of gods. The God of the Old Testament is just one as well. I do feel like that, I feel like it undermines first movie because uh, they're giving such credence and power to the, you know, the God of the Old Testament, the Christian God, whatever you want to, they're one and the same. Um, and that was by no power of indie whatsoever. They were trying to, the Nazis were trying to do something unholy with something holy and there was direct consequences this just is like you know battle of the gods here i guess and use your magic however you will and somehow indiana is now a magician sorcerer i it's i was shocked to say the least and i didn't like this um i also found it to be very darth malian how malaram falls to his death and we get to watch the camera fly down with him
1: Yes, that is interesting. But at the same time, when okay, so when Mala Ram first falls and runs into Indy before he falls down into the into the river, you can clearly see the ropes on Indy holding him to the bridge, and I think you could also <laughs> see the ropes holding uh, Mala Ram to the bridge. I noticed that. <laughs> and the that. Oscar goes to <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then when he falls into the river, they used the Wilhelm scream.
0: Yeah, they used it twice in this movie. Oh,
1: I must have. Missed they used the it first once time. in the
0: beginning. Yeah, it was with the Chinese man in oh. the beginning.
1: Actually, I actually do remember that. Anyways, now usually you do that for comedic effect, and perhaps <laughs> that was that was what they're going for here. But it just seems Ugh. inappropriate to use it for Mala Ram.
0: <laughs> it does the the whole thing is inappropriate. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. so we're back at the village. Uh, I couldn't help notice I'm reading the golden compass right now and they have surprisingly similar plots where these children are taken for an evil purpose and a small band has to rescue the children. I'm not at the end yet nearly there. I don't know. I'm wondering if there's some, I don't know. I couldn't help but notice the differences or no, I'm sorry. I couldn't help but notice the similarities. Yeah. But my question is so, is this movie's plot high stakes or low stakes in the overall scheme? The first was high stakes because A, it's the Nazis and B, they're trying to use a a lost artifact for 3000 years. That is extremely sacred to what they believe to do to rule the world. And if they do, then yeah, the Nazis will take over. This is in the middle of nowhere and at a, you know a mystical castle that was thought to be abandoned and they're performing sacrifices for some unspecified reason and i guess they think the rest of the stones are down there and then if they do get the stones then it will but it's all just so so stumbled upon it's all so convenient that they're able to thwart these bad guys it's just like oh well i'm glad you just you know coincidentally stumbled in upon this situation to stop the world from being taken over or destroyed or something i don't know
1: yeah this is pretty low stakes this more or less is just a story that indiana jones really is just a good person because he really just does this out of the goodness of his heart uh for these people kind of odd coming from uh this is a, this is an interesting though because usually for a sequel you want to go bigger uh, or or you want to challenge your heroes or character or main characters in m- different ways from the first one and explore their character more. We don't we maybe get a little bit of that with Indiana Jones, but for the most part we we've, we've shrunk in size instead of you know the Nazis <laughs> trying to take over and win World War 2. Now we just have this small tribe, and, they're, and they're, they, they lost their rock, and so now Andy has to go find the stone that will ha- that according to them has has powers that can bring forth a, a very destructive god. Uh, it just feels incredibly small scale compared to the first one, which isn't bad. When you do it right, but like I just mentioned, Indiana Jones isn't really given much development here. So I I don't I don't this is a very it's quite a low stakes movie to say it's what would have happened if Indiana Jones wasn't here. It's pretty remarkable to think that the world would have ended because the world didn't end because oops Indiana Jones hopped out of a plane in a raft.
0: I don't like to get into, uh, I don't know, racial stereotypes or, uh, but many people often bring up whenever there is an ethnic village and they are saved by a white person. Then I've heard it's called "there's the white savior" scenario. I feel like that's kind of what this is doing here because the these Indian people couldn't solve their own problems without Indiana Jones, and he they say he was brought by the god goddess shiva so i guess she's okay with it i don't know i just have also so many problems indiana
1: jones is an american you have that as well (laughs) right this thing about you know like you just said the white savior comes in to save the day it's For a movie that is already in pretty hot water with India right now, having this as the ending, no wonder it was banned there.
0: And, of course, we kind of end how we began on a lighthearted note with some silly kissing, the kids giving lots of hugs, short round closing his eyes on his elephant that's, you know, knocking him around with the trunk. Okay, well... I guess it makes sense. Come come full circle. (sighs) Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom?
1: So, obviously, I guess both of us, but uh, I've had quite a bit of criticisms for this movie. Obviously. Uh, However, I cannot deny that I had fun watching it. And even in these dark scenes that do happen, it's so visually interesting that I'm at least stimulated in some way to what's happening on screen. That I have to commend it for, that it is so fun to watch. It's kind of like a Pirates of the Caribbean 2, where it's not the greatest story of all time, but I don't really like it for the story. I like it because it's just a ton of fun to watch. That's this movie. This is a lot of fun to watch, but when it comes to the story and everything that makes a sequel, it kind of falls flat. But then, I, of course, I have to account for what I don't like about it. Well, I have to account for some criticisms, of course. I haven't grown up with this movie, and so that's part of the reason why I'm, I am as critical as I'm being right now. But I have to say that this really doesn't do much for the Indiana Jones character, except to say he went on more adventures. Well, we already know that from the first one, and we get to what we should be seeing is the most important adventures. This doesn't feel like that. This doesn't feel like a very a an adventure that grew Indy's character in such a way uh, to make him what he is in the next one. Yes, one could argue that the goodness of his heart to help this tribe helped him or was part of what developed him into what happens later. But even that just seems really far fetched to me, from what we see in what we see at the beginning of this one. That being said, it has really, really good sets and really good music. This is no surprise, this is John Williams. And some really cool visuals, a pretty silly villain, and Willie is really awful. Uh, I wish she was given more to do. Um, so I'm kind of at a crossroads at this one. I think I'm going to give it a six out of 10 But I'm probably going to say it's a mild not recommend because it doesn't capture what Indiana Jones should be capturing. It just kind of feels like add on to it feels like it feels like it was made because of obligation rather than creating a good story.
0: Murder, child torture, black magic, pagan gods ripping people's hearts out, human sacrifice, and the all-out gross factor makes Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom a wild and queasy ride. Spielberg and Lucas upped the ante by taking this movie to the extreme and pushing the PG envelope to its limits, which in fact created the PG-13 rating, and rightly so. The second installment isn't as nearly memorable fun exciting or truly creative as its predecessor i take issue with the power given to paganism the gratuitous grossness of much of the second act along with the gratuitous violence and usage of black magic uh, without showing the paganism to be devoid of power in fact indy uses black magic to defeat his enemy It's odd that Spielberg and Lucas performed a 180 with this one, considering the last one showed the power of God, whereas this one shows the power of a Hindu God that could potentially overthrow the Christian God. I really don't like that path at all. Honestly, I'm disappointed with this installment. I do like it better than I did the first time I saw it last year, but not by much, considering my main issue last time was the relentless action pace. I'm giving Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom 5 stars out of 10 with a slight not recommend.
1: Interesting how I had a slightly higher score than you did, but we both had not recommend, so I guess we're not too far off.
0: No, and it is unfortunate that this is a not recommend, but its it really took a fall, clearly, for both of us coming off of Raiders. Honestly, i I can't see myself watching this one again maybe many 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 years from now maybe someday when my son is much or daughter when they're much much older we might do an indiana jones marathon but this one just doesn't really give me a reason to come back to it
1: yeah i mean it's fun but it doesn't it has some rewatchability i'll give it that for being fun but When you break it all down, as a film, it doesn't work nearly as much as the first one does. That's my thing. The first one is really really rewatchable and really fun and very interesting because it's Spielberg being Spielberg. It kind of feels like this one, I guess it really does make sense. This feels like a conglomerate of ideas and with a story somehow weaved throughout that. Uh, From a relationship with George Lucas, or I guess a relationship between two dudes uh, two great directors um, that had kind of a falling out at this point because Lucas accidentally forgot to write the script. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of what it feels like to me.
0: Well, listeners, thank you for joining us for this wild and crazy ride. I'm feeling a little queasy getting off this roller coaster, <laughs> but hopefully the next outing with Indiana Jones will be something that we – feel familiar with but will still be a new adventure that won't get too far into the realm of the gods and the the queasy bugs and just grossness <laughs> this movie was all over the place with tone and whatnot but thank you for joining us and uh i'm excited to return to the last crusade i've only seen it one time I am, I've got high hopes for it because I did take a peek at the IMDB rating and I've got a lot of hope. I've got a lot of, uh, hope riding on this next one. I don't think I'm going to be disappointed. So we're going to be coming to you with that review here very soon. You won't have to wait very long to hear the next installment in our Indiana Jones retrospective series. But once again, thank you for joining us. We've got a lot of great retrospectives coming up. We will be back on YouTube. I will be back doing some more reviews here very soon. Um, Movie Pass is the way that I see these movies, and it's had a lot of issues. Uh, I I'm a
1: a lot of issues. It's had a lot of
0: issues. I can't just self fund myself to go see these movies. I just graduated college. I'm trying to be a little frugal with my money here, but I promise I'll be back very soon uh, with some more great uh, current reviews and we'll be continuing the retrospectives series of some things that you know and love and hopefully some things that you've never really heard of before and we can discover those together so make sure to subscribe like share with your friends we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so once again thank you for joining us and we will catch you next time